Good evening and welcome to Chasing Squirrels podcast. Uh, love to be back talking with my guest tonight, Jen Apgar, I spoke with about a month ago, and it's funny how quickly the podcast hides turned on me that, that conversation, only in so much as I felt as if the lens or the microphone was kind of turned on me. I had a whole slew of stuff that I thought I was interested in, but ultimately we ended up talking about reflective practice and I guess why I podcast. So this is a bit of a return to sender episode because I spent a lot of time coming out of that conversation really looking in the mirror and trying to figure out what it is and why it is and sort of what does podcasting mean to me in the grand scope of my reflective practice. So I hope to share a little bit of that this evening. But without further ado, I'm going to bring in Jen. Jen, welcome back. Thanks so much for having me back. I'm super excited to uh, chat with you again. It was uh, just as enjoyable for me as I think it was for you going oh, yeah. going deep. And I, and I love the whole, like, um, it, it feels like auspicious times because we're going to get to the project, your new project as well. Um, but throw down a quick intro for yourself for anyone that's just jumping on the our podcast train right now. Who are you? What are you doing in education? Okay, sure. Um, I'm Jen Apgar. My current role in education is 21st century technology coach uh, in Upper Grand District School Board, which is uh, Guelph, Orangeville are the cities, uh, Wellington, Dufferin are the counties. And uh, yeah, it's my fourth year in this role. And I'm kind of, my joke, I don't think I said in the last podcast, is I'm kind of like the internet everywhere and nowhere and hopefully reliable in my board so uh for k to 10 supporting uh technology integration and meaningful and authentic and engaging purposeful intentional ways uh and how all the 21st century competencies fit within that all right so if memory serves if memory serves here's some of the stuff i i wanted to kind of kind of put you on blast for the last time there was something I remember in the original notes about um, Twitter as a re- as a reflective practice tool. So there was kind of topic one. Two, I think there was something in there about the power power of kind of like crowdsource PD. And I think I was starting from the ISTE standpoint, right. and yep. then kind of bring kind of bringing it local. Um, what was the third one? Oh, micro-credentialing. Oh, micro-credentialing, which is kind of way out there, and it's something that's still simmering with me. But um, I think, because just before, and, and by the way, I loved your tagline in the when we were messaging before this, I'll hear you later. Yeah. <laughs> I just realized that's so, <laughs> no, so you take it, brand it. I have not seen that in any sort of podcast marketing yet. And uh, so steal that one back. All right. Because, you know, as soon as someone, as soon as someone tweets that out, and the great thing is this isn't live, so... Truly, <laughs> by the time, you know, this episode makes it live, I hope you've found a way to kind of masterfully include that in your new project. But before we get to your new project, before we hit record, we just kind of landed on that modeling failure. And it occurred to me, as you were talking about the, the project you were working on, that it might be really difficult to model failure in our practice. Yeah, sure. I get, and well, do you want me to just go for it? Yeah, go for it okay. for sure. Well, in the context of um, what I was talking about, it was actually I was creating a video walkthrough for how to use a, a tech tool, and I was 
using Reflector to have the iPad go onto my uh, piece so I could do a walkthrough from an iPad. And when I was doing it, I was using Siri, which worked for the first time I was doing the input. And then I was going to use it just for the second part for speed and it didn't work. Um, which I was going to keep in the thing. And in the first take that I videoed, I kept it in and I just said, okay, I'll just type it. And because I was typing it with one finger while trying to do all these other things, uh, there was a grammatical error. Um, but again, I was sort of modeling how someone might use this for documentation for kindergarten students from a teacher lens. But again, I figured, okay, well, I know it's spelled incorrectly, but that's kind of not the point. So anyway, I uh, polished, I did one sort of edit of the video, added some um, layered uh, just text over top to sort of say what was going on as another sort of anchor for the watcher. And then I just sent it internally to my team saying, you know, looking for feedback. Um, I think I'm going to go with this. And a colleague, it was interesting, even in this nuance, she, she mentioned the grammatical error in a very, oh, just don't know if you saw it. I don't know if it matters. Um, so again, I was saying I didn't feel grammar splained or shamed because of that. Um, but it was really interesting because thinking of what could be a polished product. Again, it's not, it's just going internal to our board for information. Um, I really wanted to model failure and I almost think I haven't done the, the send it out every, to everyone. I might want to actually even anchor with a tag saying, uh, recognize the error model, uh, keeping it in intentionally. Um, because I think as an individual, I'm pretty good modeling failure in real life, even for presentations. Obviously, if it was a very high anxiety situation, then it might be trickier, but um, I've done it with my students a lot, so used to it in that context and, you know, have an okay sense of humor and can sort of direct things as, as needed. And, and especially when you work with technology, you're going to have a lot of failure sometimes that you can control and sometimes that you can fix and sometimes that you can't. So you have to always be ready for to roll with it. But in our, in our practice, when you're doing something that's published or where you did have time to fix it, really reflecting on how important is it to leave it in there and how is that different when you're presenting to an adult audience and a, a student audience as well? Um, yeah, that's sort of what we, where we got just uh, briefly before this started. I, I wrestle with that, that question that you just asked is how, how is it different? And I'm not sure if I've ever landed on anything that satisfies the, the sort of like what I would say is an idealized learner framework because you know, if we're in the same space as, as teachers and students, if we need to have our sort of silos, let's say, that the, the attempt, I'll come at this a different way. Often it can feel like pulling teeth to get students to do process work. Sometimes they jump in. Sometimes it's almost better. Like when I watched my kids back when I was teaching the cooking, I just wouldn't say anything. <laughs> I would sort of do that. That's interesting. Hmm, let's see where that goes what is your guess might happen next? You know, what next? These sort of just open prompts and, you know, they're they're throwing in salt instead of sugar or they decide that it's okay not to wash their hands. I'm just thinking, well, let's see where this goes. And and when I saw that process work, I found that in order for them to hit flow by not sort of jumping in too quickly and saying, aha, there it is. You sure you want to do that? You sure you want to do that? More wait for them to either realize it or to taste it afterwards. They're like, oh my gosh, why is this so salty? And these moments of polished polished production that happens. And I think it was, was it you and I talking about um, um, that productive struggle? Yes. Yep. So, you know, I've, I've given that 
you got in my head. I'll just say that because I haven't been able to let that one go either. But um, the that idea of letting letting some learning get wrestled with. For me, I've come to understand that it includes breaking stuff and it not going well. Like I re- I remember uh, I think. I, I, I was never the teacher that got too stressed out when, so let's say like nine years ago when LCD projectors kind of started appearing in classrooms. That was my context, my school board, where they were kind of ubiquitous. You know, you could kind of expect to see one sitting in there. Let's say seven years ago for sure, there was some sort of a, a cart that had been dedicated to a classroom. So now you have capacity and you have these LCD projectors, and then you have individuals that are jumping on and wanting to sort of use LCD projectors. Sometimes for something kind of 2.0, most times 1.0. It's a it's a bait and switch. It's an overhead projector. Yep. But the same challenge occurred as in, oh, someone changed the cables around. And then the whole house of cards fell apart. And it wasn't until an instructor in the classroom said at a staff meeting, in response to someone kind of freaking out because the you know another teacher changed the cables around, say, yeah, you know what, it used to be a problem, but there's a kid in the class and they just plugged it in for me and it worked. Yep. And the group went silent. (gasps) Really? You let them touch the cables? So again, we're doing seven years ago, seven, eight years ago. It was still, you know, when we talked about having LCD projectors in the classroom at that time, it was, they're made of gold. Don't wreck them, right? It was sort of like that idea that there was, you know, like they rolled them in on a Brinks truck. (laughs) Security cards walking them to the classroom. Um, and don't even burn out a bulb because you're not going to get a new one. I think we've made it past that conversation, but that type of failure, I, I love. But I'm finding it more and more difficult, more and more difficult to speak of failure. And in some ways, it's because of the facility that you can make polished products with some of our digital tools. Yep. It's getting harder and harder to show mistakes. You don't, and, and the fact of it is, you're on the same wavelength as that kid. Neither one of you can necessarily change the plugs around because those plugs don't exist anymore in the LCD projector, right? Yep. Like it's, you're using an app or using something else. It, it takes care of it for you. Well, not in all boards. <laughs> not in all boards. Okay, <laughs> so walk me through that. I love that. <laughs> no, and that's, um, it's actually funny because when I went and bought new headset for today's podcast, I also bought two different dongles, a VGA dongle, which that's by, I found, maybe found the last one buried under things. Um, so yeah, all that I'm saying in terms of context is that's your problem of seven years ago is still some people's reality. It's just interesting because that's what makes my ecosystem differently diverse. You've got, and I love being connected in a broader provincial and, and national and international way because you, you can't assume anything in terms of things looking the same. That's all, which that's all that I was going with that. But in terms of polish generally, I do agree with your statement in terms of um, again, a podcast, right? Yeah, I can make I can make it not perfect, but I can make it super clean. And especially if you're someone outside of the sector, it's still so impressive when really it's so much easier now. So maybe that's maybe that's part of it is because you can be so much more polished. But I think I think in terms of the the, the depth and the and the modeling failure piece, um, I think with adult learners. And with educators specifically, and this is my something I'm rumbling around with my head, is the need to be ahead of your learner um, is from your own feeling of confidence and competence in education. Particularly, I'm going to go say to elementary educators because generally, if you're teaching K to three, 
you have ba basically the, the knowledge already of what you've, I mean, in, in terms of reading and writing and math, um, as a functional adult who's gone to university and become a teacher, right? So, but as soon as you have a, a seven-year-old who can navigate this iPad and say you're not a person who's into technology, um, you've never had a seven-year-old know more than you do in something that you might use in your practice. That's a, I know this has now gone to another tangent, but I think modeling not knowing how to do that when you've always been the person who has known more. And it's not, a, I'm not saying it's about power and control um, or don't let young children touch expensive things. Um, but I think they all layer in. And I think that's interesting as, as the speed of uh, Web 3.0 exists in the world, that that shift in mindset for being okay, failing or knowing less than your students impacts educators in all in all panels like uh primary junior intermediate and senior in different ways but i think that plays into it so i think that's i'm probably purposefully intentionally trying to model failure with adults and and navigate that silliness or again the judge people oh did jen not realize that she made a grammatical error when she did this video she's really good at making videos i don't even know how to make a video but i would have got the grammar part right and then, and then do I care? Do I have to explain to them? No, I knew it was incorrect. Just so you don't think I have no, don't have those literacy skills, which maybe I don't. Um, but I guess that's, that's the piece with, with the adult learners where with a kid, if they catch the spelling error, the grammar error, I mean, I would sometimes roll it in. I'm like, okay, good. You found it. But more so now I'm like, yep, I realized that. And that wasn't the point this time. But then I feel like a hypocrite if I force them to do their good copy and take all their grammatical errors out. Right. Mm-hmm. I often I think about that, the sort of the the invisibilia, which I'm grabbing from a different podcast, but just the the stuff that doesn't. I remember when um stuff that doesn't exist, you actually it's more work to go and demonstrate some process stuff now because the way digital tools have changed. Um, and I mean, can I can again speak to my cooking context? You can. There were times in that classroom where. It's entire. It's an entire uh, two-day lesson in general, talking to the kids about different cut sizes of vegetables. Yep. Flat out. I mean, there's there's physics behind it. There's flavor behind it. There's skill development, just as far as developing knife skills, um, quality assurance, looking at the different vegetables. Like there's so much. It's so well rounded, and all we're doing is chopping up onions, celery, and carrot to make uh, mirepoix for a soup right base for a soup two to three days i can spend on that and the kids are engaged and they're all competitive and that's not a half inch cube i'm like you're right it isn't uh -huh. you know you can get competitive about it but then it only takes one kid to say well i can see you can buy these bags of uh, uh, this is great but i can buy this bag and i can still make the exact same good soup that everyone else is that's my first thought my other thought is thinking about how when I first started to use Google Sites before the brand new one that's in uh, G Suite right now, and I, I forced myself, I don't even know what, um, I, I, I don't even know what CSS is. Don't even know what that is. But it's a kind of coding that I kind of had to figure out in order to change colors and to make things happen on the thing. And I would go to a forum and I would test drive it. I would crash my site. I'm like, oh, I've lost everything. I'd get it back. And there was a whole lot of broken there. And the whole time I'm using this, this site for this exact same class. And, you know, the, there's times where I think about the polish that is now inherent in some of these tools. And I wonder if that's also what makes it prohibitive for, for like, is there even such thing as an, as an early adopter anymore? 
is there any you know what I mean is there even is there even a gain to sort of jumping in on the front end to sort of play with these things that are in sort of beta or in these rough cuts anymore because it almost seems like the polished product is the final copy and then they do updates afterwards whatever but I mean that thing is kind of released and you don't get to see any of the rough cuts leading up to it well and that's and that's interesting oh so many things to unpack there um, I mean in that example is it about the polish of the process, because I loved your cooking analogy, and it, it took me to two things. I remember grade seven family studies, it was called way back then. We had to make tacos at 10 in the morning, I remember, and we didn't, we didn't do the math right, and we put in way too much salt. And so I don't know to this day if this teacher knew that this was true. I knew that sewing, I was myself and my person I had to sew with, we didn't finish anything, and our, we blamed our sewing machine. But for this cooking, I remember this so vividly, because... We didn't, I think we had to do one eighth of the recipe because we split the meat in groups, but we didn't one eighth the salt. And it was the saltiest tacos I've ever eaten in my life at 10 in the morning in grade seven. And if I, if the teacher had said, Hey, did you you check your salt? We would have put the right amount of salt and I would not have had that learning, right? Like that, that matters. And so that was, so, I mean, that's, that's that. And my trying to sew and my all my failures in the sewing are the only and I liked the teacher those are the only two things I remember as a 42 year old adult adult about that but that's that showed me that it was important to pay attention to the recipe and like your mirepoix example my wife will totally laugh at this because I when I make chili I just put in things whatever I like ADHD oh I picked the carrot out first oh I picked the beans out I just throw it all in the pot it's like all in the pot and she's like no you have to do this part first and now that my daughter has gone to chef camp for two weeks she knows she cooks better than I do now but like to me it doesn't matter and I don't I don't notice a difference yet between those two things I'm like my chili tastes as good as your chili I'm like oh yeah okay the carrots are still hard the first day but like I don't really care <laughs> but again because I don't really care that I haven't changed my behavior if I'm doing it for someone else right if I have an accountability to them and they like it better another way and it's not for me so it's interesting again just to think of the, all the food and the food and I love food analogies too is that if if it matters to the learner so to go to your other point is that the polished piece of with the example you oh even like so even for for you to learn coding in Google Sites so now you can say well now Google Sites is dead easy and I was actually doing a site yesterday and I'm like this is almost too easy, but I'm curious how you can just drag stuff now. And I'm curious why I can drag it these ways. And I'm annoyed I can't drag it this way, but I'm still doing it. I'd say, easy, sorry, easy, but I don't no. like it. That's the thing. It's sort of what they've given me I don't yeah. want. And so, but this, but you're exactly right. So then this is, but is this where tinkerers and hackers go? So Google is trying to, is uh, trying to appeal to the masses, right? So I'm thinking about this actually today. We're doing a Google Sheets and we're trying to figure out this complex thing. And so we were doing this problem solving. So we went, I'm like, well, let's Google it. And so we found someone had made an add-on in Google. And I'm like, so I'm unpacking this add-on and then I'm learning about these scripts that you can do. And again, if I had more time to unpack these, I don't just want a solution, I want to solve the problem. Sometimes I'll solve the problem by finding something, someone else that's already solved it, but they're trying to market both to, anyone can use this, it's dead easy to make something really, really polished. And, but by having it sort of be open source and beta and always flowing is that, someone can do an add-on. And then when you do a really good add-on, Google will give you a job or buy it from you, right? Like if you're so inclined. Um, and that whole piece is interesting. And where, yeah, like what you said in the 21st century, like what, even even the podcast that my daughter and I did yesterday, like we didn't, I know we can get better at it. We can make the sound better. It's a project we wanted to do. And so part of me thought, well, I can make it better in polish. She didn't really care if there was music intro or outro. I kind of wanted there to be, but I'm like, no, it's more important to me that we put it out there 
because that's the part that's important to her now is that the voice is shared. That's the point of the podcast. Otherwise it's just us talking and recording it. Um, and later we can decide whether we want it cleaner. But if everyone, like if people like it or the feedback is, is what it is now, if we satiate from, from doing it, to doing that together in a way that, you know, it's out there in the world, then will there have been a point to delaying the output of that, possibly never reaching it. Um, and, but having it be, be cleaner sound or have an intro or an outro, right? I guess that's my piece. Sometimes it's about putting it out there so you've gotten it out there, not to get points, not to win anything, but so it's in the real world. And that's your modeling the potential, not failure, but feedback from the masses, I guess. What um, I love, I love the segue. So moving right into in into this this new adventure, what what would you say to me? And you get, and the great thing is, you get to say this. I make it like hypothetical, and then you get to like just smash right through it, however you want to. So, what would you say? What would be your response be to me if I said, "Change nothing"? Mm. Well, so this is interesting. I would say, okay. Um... Now, this isn't me being. I'm not being provocative here. I listen. I listen to the. Well, okay. I, maybe I am being provocative, but I'm. I'm. I'm not in. I'm not. I'm not sort of posturing here. From what I heard, the flow, the relationship, the language, the ideas, the chunk that you created, change nothing. Okay. Well, interesting because I don't. In and I listen to. We only listened to the first five minutes to make sure the sound quality was good enough. We were remembered enough because it was so fresh. We remembered enough of what we said that we didn't say any, we didn't use any name. Like I was sort of checking in my head. Are we using names? Are we saying anything inappropriate? My, uh, I know. So then we just went with it. Um, the interesting piece is I don't think I would really change anything. I liked making the little graphic. Like I didn't post it until I made the graphic um, and figured out how to get it on Podbeam and so on. Um, and it's, it's pretty true to how we are. The interesting piece was we did talk about it on our dog walk first and then do it. And she wanted to start with the the summary part, which to me, I feel like we missed part of something, but I don't really care that we missed part of something because I like what we got. And that's sort of how we talk. So it's not, but I, and we're not, I'm not pushing kind of like your podcast, like this conversation and why I enjoyed it so much the other time was it just, it's just real talking. And that's how she and I talk. So, uh, I mean, she, she was sort of headed like our little, sh- like, showy succinct voice because she knew there was an audience and it was a podcast type thing so it's a little bit that's the part that's not entirely natural because when we're just talking to each other but when we talk about ideas it sounds very similar so the 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 signal it it was it was clear it i didn't um for for what i for what I projected over from my experience, I thought it was just the right bite size. The tone was good. The relationship was clear. And so, yeah, I mean, it's anyway, when, what if I, I get it from the inside that, that window, it's the exact same window, but the view is totally different. So from the inside, you know, even while I'm no, because remember you and I talked about this too, about my podcast, didn't we? I was saying how I don't go back and listen to the episodes. And that is, you know, part of, I think I've come to realize that um, uh, a fellow podcaster said it so well in talking about some another project he was working on. He said, um, I gave it the time that I had and that, and that was all the time. 
And it's funny in that shape of the amount of time, you know, that we commit to little projects and, and, and you know, the fun stuff, the the work stuff and just the life stuff. Um, I got a sense like the time that you committed to this this episode, it was the right amount. I don't I don't I wouldn't change a single thing. And I, I loved the I love the, the comment at the end about, uh, you know, we'll kind of maybe we'll add some music when we figure out how to do it. That that was that was beautiful. I think that crystallized the approach that I wish you know more individuals would sort of take in getting to the risk that could result in failure or success. Well, yeah, no, I so, appreciate that, and it's interesting that you say that because really the only, I mean, so my daughter's not quite ten, right? So, but we talk. I mean, she's got to consent to this is this is what podcasting means. This was means of your voice. So other than like the privacy attributes of, of who she is in that piece. And even when we like pick the, the little picture to go on the, the piece, I mean, uh, and that's sort of driven by just understanding and respecting digital safety and, and, and that sort of piece. Um, but yeah, that was really the only, the only part that I was nervous, nervous about. And I think that's the, not even modeling failure necessarily though. I'm like, but also modeling risk taking as an exciting, purposeful, piece right and so also knowing that and it goes back I think maybe it was our conversation or conversation I had with Andrew Campbell like it's it's not all about the likes like that's what I want I mean and hopefully it comes across authentically that that's not the the goal of it it's not like okay well how many people I mean yes it's great I did say like gave feedback oh my colleague listened to you know your podcast and she she said she enjoyed it now again this same colleague I I sent the podcast that that your podcast that I was in and she said, oh, it's like you're in my kitchen. And she has to listen to me going on these tangents all the time at work anyway. So I'm like, oh, that was only when I listened to, I did listen to hours once. Just so I go, if I send it to colleagues, are they going to find this as like redundant to the conversations where I just talk and talk and talk because I'm kind of that person? <laughs> or are they going to find it differently interesting because of who I'm talking to? And I said, and I really enjoyed it. So, I mean, again, the feedback was, was such, and, and that's just, it is different to be talking again when we spoke and I said, like, I was trying to explain to people saying, you know, we've never even seen each other in person. And this was like um, intimate in such a deep reflective thinking way and comfortable in that way that like it was sort of very flow and like otherworldly to me. And I know that sounds cheesy or weird, but um, and I feel like, okay, so if my daughter and I have these conversations, people like talking to me, they like talking to my daughter, they've seen us talk together, but to us talk about ideas, which we really love to do other people might like to enjoy that. And then even that would spark other ideas. So our, our, our ideas that we talked about in the summer, I don't know if we get that is to have other parents and their kids potentially interview them, or it's just us talking. Cause, cause she's like, Oh, maybe my cousins would do it. I'm like, okay, well, we have to talk to the parent, like that they would know and feel comfortable with this. And not everybody talks about these ideas the way we do, but so we're we'll, we'll tap people and see if there's inter- if they're interested. I don't know. Or we won't, right. We'll just, it, it'll be what it is. Mm-hmm. It's it. Um, I was messing around. I, 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 I often find myself when I think about, uh, in this, again, this comes out of the sort of the, some of the pressure points or expansion points that, that you helped me to sort of observe in my podcast process. And, and which is really, I mean, I could say podcast process, but that's just kind of the, the form that my reflective practice takes and it's in its communal 
and it's um, you're right. There's an organic nature to it. It's it's kind of frenetic and sometimes disjointed, but I think that might just be some of the little mini triggers along the way because there is an overall kind of arc I find when uh, that I'm that I'm consistently told about some of the conversations in the podcast from the inside. Again, that window it's a different view from the inside. It can find sometimes be slightly staccato as I wrestle for my words or that idea is just like I can't grab it fast enough or I can't write it down fast enough in front of me. The one of the I don't have a really tight set of rules for the podcast other than number one, make sure I'm interested. Just make sure I'm interested. And that is, that is do the work, do the work, look at, look, you know, kind of get to know the person even before you get to know the person in some way. Um, Number two, I don't really think of or for the audience. I've really come to appreciate that because I don't have any assurance that I have no assurance other than if the person that then the person like I have no marketing for my podcast. Um, so it's not as if I, well, okay. So I put it out on Twitter. I tell a few people, I'll sometimes hashtag it to on ed mentors, which is something that I'm, I've been bound to for a while. I like the hashtag. There's a lot of good stuff that happens there, but I, I, I often think that there's, you know, to set the conversations adrift in social media, I don't, I don't have a plan to get back into the conversation. So number three mean for me is be in the moment. Like, just make sure that I'm present here because I have no assurance that this moment's ever going to happen again. I, I really well, don't. And, that's what, and what's so great about that is that's, I mean, if you think of, and I can't remember who this came up in our conversation, but mindfulness. Oh, no, again, it was a conversation with Andrew Campbell on Twitter. Mindfulness versus mind, mindlessness and what does that mean? And I guess I appreciate what you're saying about being in the moment because you're right. If you, you like, you know, tapped me via social media, say, hey, you want to have a podcast? Um, I love talking to people. I was curious about that someone, like, not, I mean, that found me that wanted to talk to me about things that I didn't already know, right? Like, so that was interesting to me. Um, And then it's an enjoyable experience. And so, like, if it's about the journey, like, that's what my daughter said, like, it's about the journey, not the end point. It's not not about being perfect. It's about about the effort. Is that this is differently, like, I'm not saying this is a lot of effort, but it's exciting to my brain. Uh, to talk to someone else and to have conversations with people and that you are in the moment. Right. And, and then, but I think, I think the piece is too, is that this is like learning that comes back later, right? It's not, there's not a, an agenda or a curriculum or a goal in that this podcast will go to this many people and I will have advertising for these people. Like, and because all of that's not there, then it makes it differently authentic and possibly easier to be engaged in the moment. Right. And I think about when we have like, tasks for students so if we said to a student make a podcast and they like for a purpose and pretend your audience is this person uh, if they didn't it makes it false then in some respects but at the same time I mean the purpose well as you've said and and correct me if I've misinterpreted but is yeah like I'm thinking about these things and I found these people who like think about these things also I seem to and I'm curious about having a conversation with them. And then, like you said, even if it's it's about you learning from them in that moment and if other people happen to benefit from that conversation, great, right? Like, which allows you to be in it in a more real way while it's happening, I would think. Can I, can I yeah. throw down some crazy just to mess with? Is there an element... Okay, so me being asked and 
it's probably just because of the the number of episodes that I have out there now. So there's some, you know, I, I get sometimes noticed. Okay, so, but what I find, what, one of the first questions that comes back to me, and it's also a question that's brought to me when I approach someone about talking on the podcast, is asking about who my target audience is. And I, I, I'm not a I'm not a fan of the phrase in general. It I, it doesn't fall in step with my philosophy of what I'm doing. But if I take it in to try and process what's being asked in that in that moment, um, depending on when it's kind of in our conversation, if it's really close to the front end, um, sometimes I look at it differently than on the tail end. If I enter sort of enter into that near the tail end, I think to myself, well, maybe this person is wondering, you know, who, who could be connecting with them to talk with them after this? Like, how might that this lead to the next conversation? If that question is asked on the front end, then I think to myself, maybe they're a little bit nervous. Maybe they're sort of wondering what my intent is. Do I have a grand scheme or plan with these conversations? For individuals I've never met, but are aware of it, and they ask, sometimes I think it's the a little bit more the bureaucratic are you really being safe doing this kind of conversation? But in general, I find it's too loaded. It's too loaded and it's really not me. It's, it's, it's not me. Um, so I, I, I wonder about that concept of audience connected with reflective practice. So is there, as, as we, as we pursue our, our reflective, reflective practice, and then we choose, which is it is, to sort of go um, public with our reflective practice. Should we, should we be aware of the audience? And if we are, does that change? Does it change how we do things? So the way I'll, I'm going to bring this close to home for you, in, in doing your podcast with your daughter, did you have a conversation around target audience? Before you hit record. Uh, not before we hit record. We talked about, I think I was trying to frame it for her in terms of figuring out like how much she cared who would listen to it. And then when we wanted to have other people on it, who would actually want to talk to us about this other than just being nice because they're her friends or our family. And then, but also I think our motivation was we're interested in talking about these ideas. Um, again, thinking of her cousins, they like making like videos and, and stuff like, you know what I mean? So they, like creating knowing that it will go somewhere um so they might want to be on it but do they want to talk about what we want to talk about um and then just so just so she sort of to frame it for her from a possible kid disappointment way which she doesn't actually seem to care is that if nobody cares what we're talking about or do you still want to do this like if nobody ever listens to it is it still worth it to you it is to me because it's a fun process of a thing that we're doing do you know what i mean so put put Putting it out there is, like I was saying before, is not just about the likes, that is part of, but it's the potential of making it real in a different way. So I'm, I'm thinking of it like, you made me think of um, like purpose or audience. Like if we were just going to jam, I don't play any music, but say we had guitars and we jam, right? So then, or um, we're, we're creating something in the moment together in whatever space we're doing it for the experience of those people. Right. So if we're not practicing to then go on stage, but then sometimes the next piece is we, there's some sort of different exhilaration of it, putting it out there. And again, I guess I'm guessing if people prefer, per, like do music for a live audience, then they get some sort of 
like dopamine hit with with presenting like in real life do you know what i mean so for me like these the conversations for me the primary goal would was is to have this experience so if we're like and i'm not a musician so i feel like i'm not talking about it right but so say you're a cook right and i'm not a great cook so say you came over and you're like let's just like make stuff and so maybe you're teaching me some things or I'm asking you some things i'm like i always wondered like you know if how to make a joe louis that actually tastes like a joe louis obviously my culinary skills are are uh that level but anyway um and so we're, we're working together to do that now the difference is we have the process and experience we also have something potentially delicious to eat so this goes back to listening to your podcast right like when you were a chef or do you eat your food yeah i do i yeah i would i would but i would it's <laughs> i love i love that uh that poke because it's an interesting place there's okay so i still have this put to me um i'm introduced some context Somebody says, oh, by the way, he's a papered chef. And then the <laughs> the sort of like something in the air changes. And it's sort of, you know, there's the, oh, yeah, I've made this, but it might not be as good as what you, you would make. Like this kind of almost like self-effacing kind of comments. And it's funny because that's not my, like my background. Yes, I have sort of like the technical training, but my, my background was kind of like in, 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 like big barbecue kind of stuff, like grill on steak, like something that I would make, you know, something like the keg, which is not, you know, personal, personal uh, opinion about to uh, come out. Just here's the warning. Um, like the keg's not fine dining, but it, it has a certain high end kind of niche that people sort of have higher expectations of it. And I know it's the place like we're going to go out for dinner. Where do you want to go, honey? Let's go to let's go for our anniversary for, to the keg. Like it has that cachet. Right. Um, but I'll say procedurally, it's not fine dining. Neither am I. I have that training, but that's not me either. So I just love when people cook with me or for me. I actually mentioned that to someone had an invite over for dinner. And they said, um, you know, we could, uh, we'll make dinner for you. You and you bring the kids over. We'll hang out. And I said, well, how about this? Let's go. Let's cook together. Yeah. I've started to say this. Let's cook together. And then not only that, let's go grocery shopping together too. So let's, let's do the process together and talk about it really changing the dynamic of that conversation to where I feel like I could learn something. I get to see their grocery store, what's over there, yeah. which is always kind of cool. Right. And then, and then I get to mess with their kitchen stuff and then all of a sudden we're doing something together it's no longer them having to perform for me or me having to sort of like adhere to some standard that's just impossible because i'm yeah, a chef. i love this example because when so, you said that i mean it, it says a lot about what well, to me it says a lot about you as an educator and the way you've spoken about your students and your teaching process is because i mean it is collaborative you don't you don't come across at all as someone like you know eric and i could like well oh it, you can't cook for me or I can't go to your house because I, like you don't, you have, you give, give none of that vibe probably to people who know you better. You even give it less. So, right. Like, so, but it's so interesting because maybe it's because foods are consumable as the same way that arts are something that's created because, Oh, that's just, I love our conversations. Cause so in the, in the food respect, like that way you've empowered others. They've, they've put you up to a high standard based on, again, skills or credentials or experience in a domain in which they covet to, because people like to eat food and, you know, being a foodie is cool in this 
ecosystem right now, right, in the world. Um, and so they either feel inferior to you because, so I don't want to, I don't want to cook with you bec- or I, like I don't, or, or, or I have very high expectations of you and then I'm going to be disappointed if they're kind of like a judgy person. But because, because your art or craft is, has a production component to it that is consumed in one way, where, because are you, you're a skateboarder as well, correct? Yeah. So like if we were just going to go hit the half pipe together, which I've, I, I was a wannabe skater in grade six and I was, I could barely ollie, but I've always imagined now my 42 year old body. I don't think I could actually do it, but I would love to go in a half pipe, right? Like I would love to skateboard, um, as a 42 year old out of shape woman, I feel like that's likely never going to happen, but I feel comfortable enough because of who you are other than getting concussions and really hurting myself that I would do that. But also there's no pressure in the same, like, so I'm going to, I'm going to guess you're probably a more solid skateboarder than I am, but we're, you're not, I'm not, we're just having an experience together. Right. And it's so, but we're not, the other piece is even in that dynamic. I don't have to keep up to you. Like, it's not like we're running a marathon together. Or, right, where you're going to go, like, we're trying to do it together and you're having to slow down with me. It's something we can interplay or do together. Maybe you're teaching me something. Maybe you go off on your own for a bit. Um, But it's not something that you make for me that I enjoy or don't enjoy. And you're a better maker of it than I am. So, therefore, I don't want to participate. Okay. I want to, I, well, I'm going to bring it, try and bring it down. Back. Bring it, bring it. (laughs) down from 30,000 feet just, just for a second. Cause I I like flying up there too. So is there, what is it about? What is it about yours and my interaction right now? Based on the fact we know very little about each other yet we can coexist in this learning experience. What is it that we could, what is it that we can glean from this that can be stolen back to a classroom? I, I read today. Do you, do you, um, do you know Chuck pool? So I think, dude, he's part of Teachonomy or something like this, but he does it. He puts out these um, mini podcasts, short, short, short podcasts. And I, and I like what he's doing lately. They're like 10 minutes long. He's talking about sort of like three things or two things, generally three things teachers could learn from. And he sort of inserts kind of like a random thing, but kind of today was about restaurants, believe it or not. And, and it was interesting because I, I kind of disagreed with all three. I did. And I just thought to myself, because because um, there was sort of three things. Um, make sure the environment is enticing. Make sure that the menu is uh, well designed and also make sure that there's a chef that knows what they're doing. And each one of them completely commodified and created an audience, I thought, and not a learner. So when, as I'm reading this, I'm like, no, it's not about having the set menu that draws the individuals in. No, it's not about having everything perfectly laid out in the room so that you have this f- right away, this sort of clear kind of expectation of performance. And definitely, no, I don't want to hang this around my center of my universe. I'm not their son. I can't have them orbit around me. Now, the piece in itself was, this is me, I can't let go of my cook brain, I can't let go of the sort of like the money driven mind I used to use. And I've spoken about how, you know, it was a very powerful motivator for me to sort of meet the numbers in my business, right? And, And as I came into teaching, and I started to teach hospitality, I realized I completely had to shift my entire understanding of the craft that I'd come to understand from working in the restaurant so that it would work in public education. So it's a good piece that he posted, but I realized in what he posted, I had some wholehearted disagreements with. But so to that end, what is it that 
you know, when we talk about and, and what I feel what we're talking about here is is learning. I feel like we're we're teachers, so we can never escape that frame necessarily. I think in some ways, curiosity leading to learning is what brought us together. So what is it that we could steal about not because because we don't if if we're each other's audience, we really don't know much about each other. How is this? Well, how is I this think, so good? Maybe it's mutual curiosity. Um, a and I think so. This is interesting too. When we go back to, um, I was curious as to what your motivations were, right? So I looked you up a little bit. It's like, okay, basically, is, are you are you safe or are you rogue, right? Um, and then in our brief conversation beforehand, I I looked you up enough. I felt good about it. I'm going to take this risk. And then when we had our sort of pre-talk of the first one, I'm like, okay, yeah, this I can tell just by by speaking to you. And I think so. Maybe that's the piece. And maybe maybe this is will resonate with you more than the setting that the. Uh, that Chuck Poole said about restaurant is that so mutual curiosity. So you were curious and I could tell that in, in you're wanting to talk to me. I didn't see any hidden agenda. Like there was no hidden agenda there. So just curiosity. Then obviously in, in your sense of humor, uh, even just like something like use of gifts, like it's like, okay, this is, you're a cool, interesting person. Um, you've got a good sense of humor but none of it was like it all seemed authentic. So again, this is all via digital until we spoke in person. Uh, and then when we spoke in person, it, it, it sounded authentic. I don't know if that's like it. I think, I think I'm a pretty good social detective when it comes to um, what's real and what's not. And that may be wrong, but it's so far I, I've got that vibe. So it seemed, so we're both curious. You're a real trustworthy person. Um, I, you respect your audience members. So I did listen to a podcast, even very small nuanced things like, um, your language around, like, which I don't know even if you're aware of or was conscious, but like you use equitable language, like, which again is something that I'm just playing with in my brain and, and, and noticing now. And your language is very asset based. So all of those things, like if I was to be a co-learner with you and having a conversation, really, that's was your, your space was inviting to me, not because it was super, like, not because it was a restaurant I wanted to eat at that had high quality food. Do you know what I mean? That is also true, by the way. But. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Yeah, it's, and I, the only reason I bring it down is that it, and, and I think this, if, if we ever chat again, and we just yeah, yeah. might, hopefully we'll chat in, in person sometime. It's, it, there, there's, there is that, um, I've come to appreciate my, the, the distractibility is that I'm pretty comfortable cruising where the oxygen is thin. And I, I don't know, I'm a little, uh, you know, I'm, I've taken to heart that, that you know, you're saying I, I don't seem rogue. I don't know, there was something that I thought, you know, maybe I, am I rogue? Am I, am I that guy? You know, I, you follow a few people online. I'm like, wow, they just like, they go for it. Like they're, and they're just like, they're pushing the limits. I'm like, just like me, but I guess I'm not. Maybe I am a little bit more middle line. You've, you've made me, again, well, no, reconsider it, my whole to self. Me it's, a, it's a good quality. Like, I think of aggressive versus assertive. So in social media, if you're if one is aggressive, okay. um, I, I'm I'm curious about that, but I, I don't want it to turn into trolling and or something that, you know, professionally, if I engage in, like, I can step away. I have that self-control to do that. And I always take things through an educator stance. So, I mean, and even, it's not even that you're not assertive, because it's not like, but you're just you're curious first, I guess, which to me is a, as a perpetually curious person, which is, I think when you know, the Disney podcast too, is like, it's that, that, or the whole, and people who, who don't feel this way might not, might take this the wrong way. But like, 
I, I always say to my daughter, like I'm, I'm an eight till 10 year old kid perpetually and not in a, in a weird, I don't have adult responsibilities. I don't know how to navigate with adults, but, but I'm that curious. I'm the curious grade three to grade five. Um, and that's who I am. And so other adults that are like that, particularly in education, um, who that's your, that's your driver. And then, it, and it's authentic curiosity. It's not curiosity. Like, how can I do this so I can move up the ladder? How can I do this so I can get a contract with an ed tech company so I can travel around the world? Like, um, do you know what I mean? Your, your motivations and intentions are obviously not that. And I feel like, so it's trustworthy, I guess. So I, when I, when I say rogue, it's when I don't trust that. Yeah. Or it's too, or it's too angry. Like someone who's, too jaded and cynical without their, their heart in it. Like, I mean, if you, if you love kids first and that's why you're an educator, like you, and you love the experience of being a curious educator and co-learning with your kids, then that resonates with me. But the, yeah. No, you're, and it reads, it does read. And, and you can, you can, you, you know, those tables that you need to walk away from pretty quick. <laughs> I, I just, I just have to go to the bathroom. Oh, has the coffee been served yet? I just need to go grab it and I'll see you later. And you're not like yeah. leaving anything behind. <laughs> you're packing, packing up your whole backpack and just kind of moving on. Um, the, um, I liked, I liked how you sort of, you've, you've introduced the, you've, you've introduced me well into sort of, I wanted to just talk for a bit about, um, that's sort of the, PD outside the bells kind of stuff. And uh, way back in the day, one of the things that caught my attention, I don't even know how, I think it was because I was, I was trolling ISTE and like posting questions to it and seeing, you know, can I, can I actually participate in a conference that I'm, I'm probably never going to go yeah. to, nor would I ever spend my own money to go to. It's just kind of, it's out there in that yep. for me, it, for me personally, it's ridiculous. But, um, but I, I saw your picture in front of the banner in front of the, the door. And I thought, man, that person looks so joyful. Like you, you're just like exploding with joy. And I thought, you know, there is something about these conferences and I haven't ever been able to, like, I get swept up in the FOMO stuff. I, I, for, for life, life reasons and and I'm, i still stick to them i was i was supposed to be a part of our we had an ed tech camp last weekend and i was supposed to be a part of it and then i had to withdraw from it and i i you know i'm still checking out the feeds and there was there's something to that and i've what is it about those those experiences okay so it's two things what is it about those experiences that you think are are con consistently draw people in what is it about it and on the second the second the other side of that is um, is there a challenge in actualizing that learning? I can remember I went to, I didn't frame that question well. I'll do better as I get through my example. It was about maybe three or four years ago I, I, when we, when our board had that event, they used to call it a Google camp. And um, right away, I was posting out about halfway through. I'm like, how are you going to action this when you get back to your schools? Please tell me. I want to know. I want to know how you transition from all this fun, the great sandwiches and the great, you know, we're having such a blast. How yeah. do you generalize this well, back I, to board? Yeah. Nothing, nothing. Didn't get any bites on it. So the first side is, what is it about it that's so intoxicating? And the second part is, what is the inherent challenge in actioning it when you get back to your school? Okay. So the first part is, is uh, I am very fortunate. Um, and I, so because I'm so fortunate, I've been able to attend three different 
out of country um, experiences. And I thought that would never happen. And I know that that's not, I'm very lucky. And, and so because of that, I feel a responsibility um, because that's an opportunity that is not true of many people to, to bring it back in an ideally an actionable way. So that, that's a, the first caveat. Cause I do. I'm, and it's also interesting that you talk about ISTE because I almost didn't post that picture. Cause I didn't want to be that person that went to ISTE cause <laughs> that took the picture. But and so I'm glad you read it as true passion and excitement. Um, and the other piece, so I guess, it, so the ones that I've been to, I've been to South by Southwest EDU in Austin, Texas. Um, and then iNACL, which is International Online, Collaboration Online Learning in Orlando and ISTE uh, in San Antonio. And so again, that's, but, but having that perspective of three different and in the US, um, there's a whole piece of it that's very American in a, in a way that we probably don't have time to unpack in the, in the last eight minutes. But um, now I've lost it. How do you make it actionable? I think when What's I think the, back to... Were you starting with why they're intoxicating or were you going to actionable? Okay. Well, why they're intoxicating, I think because... This is going to sound cheesy, but then I'm going to unpack it. The energy of the tribe. But I find that the, the intoxication to me, I are also with the, with the ISTIS particularly is because of the diversity of people. So I've also been lucky to present at and attend uh, bits echo can connect it. Like, so I've, I've done a, I've been to a, a number of circuits often as a presenter. So when I go locally, it's about seeing your peeps in real life. Yep. Like, do you know what I mean? And so people that I never met before now I'm getting to see, and now we're co-collaborating, we're going to present again and another thing. So that, that energy is very local um, I also like that it's sort of open source and inclusive with people who are curious and authentic, um, which is, is the majority in, in my experiences in Ontario anyway, um, that, you know, if you, if someone brings someone who's brand new, like nobody makes people feel bad about what they don't know, the, it's intoxicating because everyone's, it's like a bunch of curious, like it's like a geek fest, it's like a Comic-Con, right? Like it's, it's, there's nerds that all want to learn together, but it doesn't matter if you don't know who Superman is and I'm obsessed with Superman because... You, you have your fandom and we're just all hanging out being nerds together, like geeks, nerds together. Um, and so that's the intoxication piece it, at a larger scale. And again, this is, it, it's, it's about in some ways, and I don't know if it's because South by Southwest EDU was my first one or because the vibe was so much different. Um, but I did more rich, my learning was newer then. So that was my first international like out of province one i was with a bunch of really um curious colleagues who it just we all resonated at the same time right and we unpacked it every time we would go back to the hotel and then we purposely we brought it back and made change to roles in our board because of what we'd learned like we presented to superintendents and and change was made because of that and we also said like you sent us on this experience we didn't know that this is going to be our learning but we feel that this is really important and that change was heard right so more recently in the other two it's that and again depending on to me it's like who you're with and what you do with it so it is and actually interestingly at ISTE some of my richest learning was connecting with Peel District School Board who happened to some people who happened to be there and talking about what happens in Ontario as it was mm. relevant to certain things but there's other things like there's a lineup for the Apple thing like it's it's the American ones are very corporate it's interesting to, I like hanging out in the maker's fair, talking to kids more often. I go into the trade place, 
yes, to get free swag, but also I like to push thinking of corporations. <laughs> I'll say, okay, here's what you're doing. Here's why it's not good. And like not in a nice way. Um, yes, I'll take your free stickers. Right. <laughs> but um, here's, here's, I, I'm not, I, I don't want you to brand me. I don't want to be certified by your brand name, but if you want to do well, consider this. But what's interesting is in the U S a lot of, they don't need to do that. I met a woman who, um, she had worked in a, in a impoverished inner city public school in California and she enjoyed her job, but it was, it was tough, really tough. And so she moved to now like a charter school where she was like a K to three educator. She had, they just sent her there. So from California, she had like, I can just go back and tell them whatever I want and we can get up to $30,000 cause we have funders wow. that get that. So she would, right? Like ridiculous. So some things that are like so unreal and she was a perfectly nice person and teacher, right? Like it, was, it had nothing to do with her, but I'm like the reality is so different for the majority of people that are there. And so, and it's, so that's the other piece is that it's not, I mean, it is intoxicating and fun, but I got in line for a, for something on Google keep. I'm like, okay, I know the Google suite pretty well, but I'm curious because Google keep just became part of the suite. So I go to line up and it's like a, it was like a lineup to a bar with like bouncers. And then it's like, okay, well then, Oh, we can't get in, but you can wait in line for Google earth. I'm like, I can figure Google earth on my own. Like I'm not going to stand in line for this. So some, and then same thing, like the, Microsoft and the Apple ones were all like that. And you could tell the bigger named companies had the big sponsored things and they made it sort of like red carpety feel. Um, and it didn't resonate with me as much. The keynotes were fabulous. I will say that keynotes were absolutely tremendous because they're so in sync with what the ISTE standards are. Like there's so that piece and, and keynotes don't always do that for me. Right. Like, but because they were just so talking the talk and they were, again, it's a high standard. So high caliber keynotes who were effective at what they did and hadn't been heard be like had heard from of and of some of those people, but doing things for the first time that were, that were pretty powerful. So in bringing that back, I mean, that's the other, the interesting piece is bringing it back is that if other people don't get to go to it, cause I didn't go with the same people that I went with before. And I was, I was on the not at ISTE Google plus community the year before. Um, some people were at bet in the UK, which I didn't even know existed. I found it in the UK. I was like pretending I was there, like chatting with people like I would if I was there. Um, but to me, it's being immersed in the experience. And then also when you leave and go back to your hotel, I can't stop thinking about it. Right. And if I can unpack that with people that I'm going to make a change with, that's how I activate it. Otherwise me personally, stuff that resonates with me that goes in, that goes into my wheelhouse and my toolkit of think not just tools I will use, but thinking and examples and, and finding out more about that person and what they were talking about. Do you think, do you think parents are aware of this uh, passion in educators to sort of pursue this type of training outside of, you know, board outside of outside the bells? Um, I'm going to say, I think, unfortunately not mostly because unless they are actively in, like, unless they know educators who are passionate about it and they say, Oh, are there more people like you? But it's not really, I mean, a, a non-educated person. Well, to give an example, I tried to do a university project to start a tweet chat on an, another project and ended up moving to Facebook. But, um, but I was like, Oh, there'll be all these people talking about it. We can have a Twitter chat. I'm like, Oh no. Um, LGBT parents are not on Twitter wanting to have Twitter chats. I guess that's educators, right. And marketers like, so I would say likely not. And unfortunately, um, the other nuance with that is that like, well, for example, if like Bit Echo was to say, you know, however many people are going to go there this year in Niagara Falls, spent three days, you know, doing rich learning that they're going to bring back and implement in their classroom. 
I mean, I don't like to be cynical, but I might say, well, you know, my teacher had a supply teacher for three days. How much did that cost the board? What is this going to do to math scores? Like all of these people outside of education, unfortunately, um, unless they know someone who's curious that and they're willing to listen to what they have to say, I don't think we'll get it okay. yet. Yeah, no, but, it's the thing that I wrestle with. I, I wrestle with the a little bit of the hunter-gatherer mentality. So when you go out to the fringe and you bring the things back, whether you're actioning it at your school, you know, with your fellow you know, colleagues looking at stuff or, you know, just kind of making it a thing with the parents. Here's something that, you know, building that capacity of understanding with not just your students where sometimes it's easier to spark them up, but where you're actually trying to kind of move, move a larger entity, like a larger sort of heavier kind of mass to sort of understand, you know, your style of teaching or, you know, just getting, getting them to get you. It's something that I wrestle with. I wrestle with that. I wrestle that just in the general sense. I just, I don't, I, I don't think um, parent understanding is there yet, but they notice, they notice these bits and, bits and pieces. Oh, this teacher uses this app. Oh, this teacher uses this kind of a tool. So. Well, and it's interesting that you say that piece because I feel like, um, again, it's a, the, that there might be inconsistency. And so we've, we've done something in our board called digital Saturday, which I was asked to present at my first year when I was from the classroom and then have been to a couple. Uh, so they're on weekends for parents. So it was interesting. The first year is I talked about Minecraft in my classroom and it was sort of last minute that I got invited. And so I invited the parents of kids in my class and some of my kids to come and help me present, which no one else had done that. Um, and so then all these parents from other schools are like, our school said, you're not allowed to use Minecraft. I'm like, uh Oh, like, <laughs> do you know what? It, so it was interesting because that's the other part is that I'm not saying that everything should be micromanaged from the top down, but then it's like, Oh, well either I'm breaking a rule or they were wrong, but I don't know if they don't want to do it. Or like I did, I mean, here's the superintendent who's, whose kids in this session also saying this is okay. And they invited me to do this. So I think it's okay, but I don't want to throw my colleague or principal under a bus. If they're saying there's a reason they're not doing it. And it was a lot of work for me to do. Like, so it was, that was in the early days where I had to like, asked the board to change a firewall. And it was, again, through my connection at BIT that I even figured out that this was at all feasible and possible. And it was a great trajectory for a period of time for me. And I connected with some really great people. Um, and I was excited about it. But it's not the same across the board. And I think that's, you're right. Like, so parents will hear about it. Like, oh, this person really works. But what sometimes happens, and I did have a parent who said at one of these sessions, like, um, oh, yeah, so all the, all the parents in our school, like, this teacher really uses all this stuff and, and does it. They came to this digital Saturday. The other teachers don't, though. So we're going to all ask for our kids to be in this teacher's class. And so it, 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 it created, I'm like, okay, so I'm just like, well, you know, everyone's learning. Again, I wasn't in a capacity of a coaching role at that point, in which I can sort of say, you know, everyone's at a different learning curve, and this is not a systemic, everybody must or shall, and not everyone has, each school's got a different you know, how their principals have chosen to spend money in their refresh tech over time has, will impact whether it's even possible in their building. Um, so that part is, is hard because I feel like they're getting snippets. So if, if, I mean, if my child was in your class, I would get it. But because I'm in education, I know that might not be true the next right. time, right? But if you're in education, you're like, okay, well, I love class dojo and it's the best thing. Um, and then it was like, oh, well, this other teacher doesn't use anything or they use Seesaw. Like, what's going on here? Um so yeah, I think I think there's a lot of way. There's places to grow for sure, and I, and I'm one of the things that I'm in my head is like how how do we best do that considering all the components and the reality of where we are now. Mm -hmm. It also makes me think about how comfortable are we as a, I guess a, a, a 
society isn't the best way, but how comfortable are we with education? Um, how comfortably with education being kind of an experiment? And that's probably too much for like where we are in this conversation. But the the idea that if we if we accept that some of the bits the bits of failure are valuable learning and that it's important not to hide process under polished endings and that students are making mistakes alongside their teachers and willing to sort of have that be the experience of learning then can we is can we scale that up to look at education such that one teacher using one tool and another teacher using a different tool is exactly where we're supposed to be that package that veneer um you know if we can get far let's go back up to thirty thousand feet for a second does it look like education is kind of just cracking off on all cylinders because everyone's kind of doing something that they're really digging and it might mean that teachers are using different tools it might mean that you know different learning spaces are being honored it might mean that classroom configurations are changing but it there isn't it, it kind of strikes me like i don't know if we're comfortable with that idea yet we're we're comfortable with the entropy in small doses but that idea that somehow education in itself and i'm getting more and more i'm getting closer and closer to the comfort zone that education right now feels like one big experiment there's just so much stuff that is not so much stuff that is dissimilar but driving in the same direction and it's it could be the ambiguity can be kind of tension building i kind of i dig it i dig it but i can also understand how for others it's like they're losing the can uh, i never get this word right canonical Oh, okay. Oh, like the can. Okay. I yeah, they're they're it's sort of yeah. we're losing we're losing specific connection with what education has always been, and I'm kind of and I'm I think cool with that. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, and I'm I'm excited by that, and I'm excited actually living in this this cusp of this change too. And I know we don't have time because we're already <laughs> over time, but like, but I love the I love the tension metaphor because that would be if you think of a bridge, right? And so if is you need the right amount of tension. And and I think there's, I'm not an engineer, but I remember reading something and not just the iron bridge where it collapsed or whatever, but that there's a bridge that actually is one of the safest tension bridges that exists, but people are so scared to walk on it because it looks dangerous, but it actually is much safer than one that looks more secure, right? And so if, if, in, in taking that maybe as, a, as an end piece is that like, so, and we talk about comfort. I think we have to get, the discomfort of being that, that scary first step, which I think possibly innovators or people who are curious um, are, are more willing to go down there. But I think as a system, adults and parents are the, are the last piece, right? Because I mean, people are scared of heights. Like I get that piece. But if you're a kid and, you, and the adults you're talking about is like, this is, we can trust this, it's fun. You don't have other experience that tells you, but it looks sketchy, right? Like, which I'm not saying adult, kids should follow adults just, you know, to dangerous places. But what I'm saying is like, okay, yeah, this teacher, so Cluff's my teacher, and he's like saying this bridge is good, and it looks like, but my parents are scared about it, and these other teachers are scared about it because like it looks not like the bridge that they're used to, but this actually is a better bridge for getting to the future and a necessary bridge for getting to the future than, than one that is more comfortable um, and, and less tense. But I mean, again, if you get too, I think like if it's too slack, I think my daughter said something about it in the podcast we did, um, or too tight, 
it's that perfect it's figuring out that tension and mm. that it's not perfect but that it is it is tension <laughs> dude you know what i love about you within within what? this conversation you have disclaimed three things about yourself you're not a chef you're not a musician and you're not an engineer um, and and kind of approach that you're not a skateboarder either. Yet somehow wove cogent thinking around your example, despite the fact your claim that you are none of those four things. I thought that was quite 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 awesome of you to step into that. Okay, so here's here's where I go with this then. So I'm I'm also gonna say I'm say you are now officially a podcaster. So I am I am throwing over the mantle of specialist on your shoulders, and here's where we end. Give me a bit of source code advice about podcasting. So one thing, one thing from this, from this one episode that you've posted that you would say is source code or an absolute. What's one thing you've learned or noticed one thing that you say, I've, I learned this, I learned this, I know it. Or one thing you noticed, which can be a little bit more ambiguous if you want. Including talking no, to you? No, or just, now you, okay. you now are, you are your own. I am now talking to a podcaster and you know, you and your daughter are now podcasters. It only takes the one. What, okay. what, what, do you, what have so, you learned? Oh, this, um, and this will be, so if you don't have kids in your podcast, let your inner kid lead. Mm -hmm. So if you do have kids in your podcast, let the actual kid lead. That's pretty solid. <laughs> That's pretty solid. <laughs> That's good. You did it. There you go. You're a podcaster. There you go. Yeah. And that was succinct. For that me. was tight. That was tight. <laughs> that was tight. Okay. So we'll, we'll clip it off here. Where do you want to be found? Lay down wherever, you know, further conversation to connect with you. I think Twitter is the best for, I mean, if you want to go deeper or different tangents and I can, you can direct message or just on my wall at Jen with one N, Apgar, A, P as in Peter, G as in George, A, R. Curious, are you doing any presentations or get-togethers soon that the general public or other educators could attend? Oh, yes. Do you like that? Um, so, I just thought that's yeah, a new good. thing I got to do. Go for it. Uh, so I will be at um, uh, Bit 17, so bring it together, Echo, uh, in November at Niagara Falls Convention Center. Um, I'm going to be part of the Minds on Media Carousel, which is the Wednesday, which is a great day to go if you're able to go. It's you sort of come into this space and it's hands-on at your own pace, all sort of different things. I'm actually going to be talking about um, working with teachers in co-spaces, um, creating VR uh, that they can use in on their phones with Google Glasses or even just on their screens. So 3D representation that you can um, make into VR, super easy to use, you can code within it. Um, so I've just done it, I, being not in the classroom, I haven't got to do it with kids yet, though I did do two sessions with grade eights in my board and another session at Simcoe that went well. So if you happen to be there, stop by and say hi for sure. I love it. Pinky swear, the next time we talk, we'll do it in person. Maybe we'll capture a co-podcast. We can each, we can cross post. Oh, I love it. Yes, and definitely you could... Um, now, do you have a, 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 a kid who is important to you that you could bring to uh, the, the Mummy and Daughter Mindset show? Um, I absolutely could. My daughter and I actually have done, and my son, um, on the Chasing Squirrels feed. Feel free to check it out. Um, okay, their, their episodes, the kids' episodes, are called Trail Mix. And I think I, think okay. I have four, maybe four or five with my daughter and I think my son has done two or three with me so more than happy to uh, fill that guest spot if you want us to come on. Okay, totally well we'll definitely, and I'll, we'll definitely listen to Trail Mix together, my daughter and I, because uh, we want to get to know who we might have on. Cool. 
Awesome. Great talking with you again. You too. Have a fantastic end of week. And like I said, I look forward to having that coffee, that sit down the next time we get together. Definitely. Maybe we'll even skateboard or cook or something. Either one will work for me. Awesome. No injuries. No injuries. No injuries. <laughs> okay, adios. Adios. Chasing Squirrels podcast can be found on Podbean and iTunes. If you want to have a conversation on the podcast, please reach out to me. Probably the best way to connect with me is on Twitter. So that would be at Chris J. Clough. I also blog a little bit on WordPress. Feel free to check in on some of those topics. And I really do appreciate the time you spent with the podcast. Thank you for listening and have a fantastic evening.